Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hey, everybody. It is Dr. Michael Delgado. I am the standards and research lead here at Good Dog, and we are celebrating Dental Health Month pretty much all month long in February. Today, we are going to talk to Dr. Natalie Marks. Dr. Marks is a practicing veterinarian and previous practice owner of the first fear-free certified hospital in Illinois. She received her veterinary degree at the University of Illinois School of Veterinary Medicine. She's currently the owner of Marks DVM Consulting, where she offers services related to education and project development within the field of veterinary medicine. She's also the co-founder of VetScoop, a collaboration of veterinarians with the goals of providing accessible, real-talk pet health resources and helping pet parents know when it's time to see their vet. Dr. Marks is Fear-Free Certified Elite and was a member of the original Fear-Free Advisory Board, which is why we are excited to talk to her today about Fear-Free Preventative Dental Care. For those of us who've been listening to the Good Dog Pod for a while, we had the founder of Fear Free, Dr. Marty Becker, on before, and we did a webinar with him for our Good Dog community, which I encourage you all to check out. If you're not familiar with the Fear Free movement, it's all about caring for our pets in a way that reduces stress and anxiety, whether in our homes or in the veterinary clinic. So now let's talk about applying this concept to keeping our dog's teeth healthy. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm really excited to talk to you about dental care, but also just, you know, we already shared a little bit about your background. Maybe you'd start by telling us a little bit about how your career path led you to the fear-free movement in your veterinary practice. Sure. So I was actually at the American Animal Hospital Association conference in 2016 and very coincidentally stumbled upon a press conference, essentially announcing this new initiative. And Marty Becker and I had been friends pretty casually in the industry, but I started to really perk up when I heard about the term emotional health, because Mm -hmm. we really didn't think about that in our patients really ever until just very recently with a fear-free movement. Now, veterinary behaviorists have been talking about this for years, you know, that dogs get anxiety, dogs get fear, they get stress, they can have clinical signs that we as humans would think of as more depressive signs. So they can have all of these things, yet I never, ever talked about emotional health with my clients. Right. So I became very interested in this, how we can, as clinicians, think about physical and emotional health every time we see a dog. And that started the ball rolling and I became very involved and was on the advisory board and then on the executive board all the way to certifying my hospital as the first in Illinois and seventh in the nation. So I've been very involved in teaching and some of the new thoughts about where Fear Free could head and also just really educating colleagues of mine and also all the pet parents that I can touch about why this is better. This is a better way to take care of your dog as a whole, not to ignore the brain, (laughs) not to ignore all of the emotions that your dog is feeling because it affects us too. It affects the human animal bond. 
Sure. I mean, there's lots of reasons, right? Safety and the relationship. And of course, we know in humans, it's probably taken us too long to recognize in humans, but the brain is not separate from the rest of our body. It's like our emotions are part of our physical reality. Yes. So it's really nice to see. Probably in some ways, I feel like the fear-free movement is like, it's even made me more aware of medical care for humans and children. And so I really appreciate everything about it. We're big proponents here. So let's focus on, you know, it's dental health month in February. So let's say got a dog owner, their veterinarian just said, hey, you have to start brushing your dog's teeth, <laughs> which for a lot of people is a pretty intimidating prospect. Where do they get started? Well, I think that's the key is we don't often, <laughs> and I raise my hand, I've probably been guilty of this as well. We don't often put ourselves in the pet parent's shoes when we give a recommendation of brush your dog's teeth. Yeah. And maybe that pet parent has had that dog for six years and never touched the mouth. That's a lofty task to ask mm-hmm. to be effective. So the first thing that I would suggest is for all the brand new puppy owners out there, I always talk about three places that you need to start touching your dog from day one. Mm-hmm. And that's ears, mouth, and feet, because right. those tend to be the most sensitive. They tend to be the places we need to do the most treatment whether we're taking something out of the mouth that shouldn't be in there or brushing teeth or treating ear infections or trimming nails or whatever the case may be. But the first starting point for me is to start an association with your puppy or new rescue or whoever it might be associating the mouth being touched with a very positive experience. Okay. So exercise your dog, get your dog a little sleepy. Don't do it when they first wake up. (laughs) get them a little sleepy, mm-hmm. find the yummiest treat that they love and associate it with lifting the lip and touching the gum. A lot of dogs, that's peanut butter. They'll do anything for peanut butter or cream cheese or hummus mm-hmm. or frozen yogurt or whatever the case may be, something smearable. But for others, it might be turkey hot dog or that Bill Jack jerky treat or whatever it is, something super yummy that your dog goes bonkers over okay. so that they know when mom or dad or whoever it is touches my mouth, I immediately get something super yummy in return so that it becomes a very positive and wanted experience. Mm -hmm. Once we get that established, and that might take, you know, a week to two weeks to kind of get to that point of training. Then we start working on actual movement around the mouth. So that could start with a finger brush, which I think we'll talk about when we talk more about some of the tools we need with actual peanut butter, just rubbing it on the mouth. And people are like, you're brushing your dog's teeth with peanut butter? (laughs) No, we're training with peanut butter, but it's going to simulate the experience all the way up to actual brushing. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want to stress to pet parents out there who are like, okay, Dr. Marks, it sounds amazing. I'm never going to be there with my Not going to happen. (laughs) I just want to stress that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because my last dog, I would never have gotten there. It was just not in the cards for us based on I had a rescue that had a lot of fear reactivity around the mouth. And in the end, it wasn't a good use of our training and wasn't strengthening our bond. Right. The last thing we want to do is have a dog then that sees mom or dad coming at them with a toothbrush and hides in a closet and growls at them from under a bed for a half an hour. That's not the goal. So if we have a dog that's willing to accept training and some cooperative care, which we'll talk about, awesome. But I'm glad that I'm able to share. There are so many other options out there outside of brushing that are still recommended by veterinary dentists as a suitable 
alternative to toothbrushings along with paired veterinary care. Right. And I think you brought up a really important point. I think when any of us are thinking about something that we feel very strongly we need to do with our pet, right? Whether it's trimming their nails or get the pill in their mouth or brushing their teeth is we're always thinking about the end point, the brushing of the teeth and not kind of the journey along the way. And so I do feel like when people are really focused on the end point, then it becomes very tempting to try to force the issue and just get it done. And so I like how you broke it down into, and also just giving realistic time frame, right? It could take several weeks at each step. That's great. So getting started is really about just touching the lip, positive treats, keeping it simple. Very simple. Okay. And it's also, as I mentioned, and I want to stress this, we have to set the stage for your dog to want this training. Again, if your dog just went crazy because there's a mailman at the door and your dog is scared of that experience and has just been barking and is showing signs of anxiety, that's not the best time to work on toothbrushing. Right. It sounds, you know, very straightforward, but a lot of us are like, oh, I forgot to train my dog today. And we rush to do it. Sure. Just like for us, we have to be in the right headspace to exercise. Dogs have to be in the right headspace to learn because we're teaching them something that we want to establish as a positive habit. So I always, again, try to have them after they've exercised. So they're kind of in that sort of calm down, cooling off mode. When they're hungry, don't start to train right after a full meal because they'll be more willing to work for treats. And also when they're in calm body posture, not when they're already anxious or worked up or stressed about something, when they're chilling on the couch next to you, you know, watching The Bachelor, whatever. Oh, this is a great time. Lift up the lip, rub the gum, give a positive treat. If you've done clicker training or familiar with that, it's a great time to get your clicker out or even to make that click sound with your tongue so that they associate that actual experience, that moment in time with a positive sort of snapshot in their brain. So every time they see mom or dad coming to rub the gum with their finger or peanut butter, oh, I remember this. This was amazing. I'm going to get a blank in return. And so a lot of times dogs will actually start looking for it. Mm-hmm. They will start opening their mouth. They'll start letting you be in there longer. They will show you signs that that body language is positive, that they're happy, they're accepting this training. And that's sort of in response to how long it's going to take. That's a cue to you that you can move on to the next step. That's great. Okay, you mentioned the toothbrush. What are the best supplies for taking care of your dog's teeth at home? Yeah, so I'm very big on not putting all my eggs in one basket. Okay. <laughs> so I don't say it's, toothbrush or die. It's like, we can't just put it, it's all or nothing because every dog is different. Every parent is different. I always like to reflect on things that I would like to do differently in my career. And one thing that I have not been great at is asking pet parents any limitations that they have. Hmm. So people that have rheumatoid arthritis in their mind, they may want to brush teeth. They maybe physically can't do that. People who have visual impairments, people who have sensitivity emotionally, to being near a dog. People who have been previously bit by dogs that are scared of being by the mouth. There's a lot of those client experiences that I wish I would have asked before. I know now, and I'm definitely much more sensitive to that. So as a pet parent, I want to empower you to talk to your veterinarian and your veterinary professional team very transparently. Like, I'd love to brush teeth. I physically can't do it. What are my options so that we can work as a medical team to do the best for our dogs? So If you can brush, finger brushes are great. So these look like little, we call them finger cuts. They basically go over your index finger and have a little brush on the end. Those are really great for small dogs. 
as well as for cats. I don't find them as effective for larger dogs. We just need mm -hmm. a little bit more texture than that, but it's a great training tool. And then toothbrushes, a little trick for me that I use for a lot of my small breed dogs is I'll actually get a kid's toothbrush from the store. They work really well as far as the size of the brush mm -hmm. to getting nice. in the mouth. Yeah. So that's another trick if you find the actual pet toothbrushes are a little big. Okay. For the large dogs? Standard toothbrushes, great. Okay. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. So beyond that, then we have to think of next tier, which we would consider enzymatic treats. Okay. So these are treats and chews and rawhides and sticks that have been formulated with enzymes on them to actually dissolve the plaque, which is the film that is on the teeth that binds with bacteria and calcium in the saliva. That's the yellowish stuff we see on the teeth to actually dissolve that. So when you're giving a treat, it's actually doing something for the dog, not just something yummy. So there are a lot of treats out there that fit that bill. The CET line is what I mostly recommended because they have a lot of great options, great sizes, and also have veggie dents, which are for dogs that have food allergy and can't have the chicken flavored ones. So those are really great. They're water soluble. So we don't have to worry about choking. And again, they're sized for your size of dog by the pound. That's great. It's really nice. Greenies are a great option. I know greenies in the past have gotten some bad press. They reformulated, you know, I think almost nine, 10 years ago. And they're a really great option as well. Also size for the size of your dog. Okay. There are other enzymatically activated treats out there that he is to look for enzymatically activated. Okay. Like on the package, it should say, yep. okay. Enzymatically activated. So those are actually going to start breaking apart the film of plaque. So you'll start to see some efficacy there. Okay. Outside of that, so after those enzymatically active chews, then we start getting into some of the other alternatives for daily care, which would include dental wipes. Okay. So these are going to be enzymatic. They look kind of like Stridex pads or <laughs> circular pads that you just wrap around your finger and actually wipe on the teeth. They are going to also have enzymes to break the plaque off. You know, the downside to wipes and why I don't list them first is because you have to have a dog that's compliant enough, very similar to toothbrushing, sure. right? That's going to let you wipe, actually touch the teeth, but they are effective if you have a dog that allows that. A lot of my clients who have dogs that allow brushing will then follow up with a wipe oh. and kind of wipe them out. So nice. kind of a two in one little bonus there. Yeah. There are also sprays out there, dentist spray and similar ones. That when sprayed on the gum, they have enzymatic action. They're also antibacterial. So it's sort of like a mouthwash. <laughs> a little fresh dogs, breath right? kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they do actually do that. I mean, they are effective on their own, though. They, they have a little more limited scope. So okay. if you were just going to do the spray, I would say you're, you're not going to see as much result. And then the final level would be something like oral dent, which is something that you actually put into the water. That has some dental care. Now, you notice I didn't say food, <laughs> but that's a whole different category sure. now that we have prescriptive diets. Probably the one people are most familiar with is the Hills Science Diet TD, yep. the tooth diet. For those of you that don't know, these are much larger kibble than you're used to seeing, but they have technology in the kibble that when the tooth actually bites the kibble, the lattice work inside the kibble actually grabs the tooth and pulls plaque off of it. So pretty cool technology. And I would say that that's a great option 
for people who are really committed to teeth, which I hope every pet parent is, but I know everybody has different priorities. Sure. Or for the dog that just can't get near their mouth. You just can't do anything. It's a really great daily option for a lot of those pets. Now, if your dog already is on a prescriptive diet for another disease or your dog has food allergies or some other stipulations, it's unfortunately not going to be the best choice. But you can talk to your veterinarian about if TD or any of the other dental formulated diets are right for your dog. All in all, the most important thing is something every day. Right. So if maybe you can brush twice a week and maybe use the rinse in the water and maybe a spray or a chew the other days, you will start to really see success. It's just, again, making that daily commitment. Great. And can we talk about toothpaste? Because you can't just use your own toothpaste on your dog, right? No, you can't. You can't. Although that's very tempting and easy, right? Because it's just (laughs) sitting there. But no, you definitely want to use a dog formulated toothpaste. And there are hundreds of them out there. As long as you are using that, you should be fine. And there are many different flavors. Flavors. Yeah. Yeah. I often just say, you know, most parents know their dogs and their dog's preferences. So if your dog is just a peanut butter addict, there are peanut butter flavors (laughs) out there. Try to stick to that. Don't be the new parent who says, I'm going to introduce a new flavor because with toothpaste, just like you can imagine with toothbrushing, If there's a negative experience or a negative taste, it takes a long time to kind of take those steps backwards and work forwards again. So try to set yourself up for success by choosing a flavor preference that you know is already a good one for your dog. Maybe you do a little taste test, right? Get a few flavors. You could. A little buffet. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay, great. This has all been super helpful. So, you know, I think you address alternatives, like if people, for whatever reason, can't get their hands in their dog's mouth. There's definitely other options and they all kind of, no pun intended, like chip away at the plaque and like (laughs) contribute towards a better oral health. I know when you talked about some of those alternative products, are they all things that people can find on like the Veterinary Oral Health Council website or should that be a priority when they're looking for those alternative products or can you just go on like your favorite pet online retail site and look for dental things? Like how do they know if it's Aside from, you know, I know you mentioned the enzymes, but is there anything else that people should be, I guess, looking out for and not get? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the Veterinary Health Oral Council. So this is a group of veterinary dentists from around the world who have essentially put their seal of approval on the safety and efficacy of these products. Okay. So for me, if I ever have a pet parent who's like, well, I found, you know, random Andy and Ann's favorite dental spray blah, 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 on this blah, blah, blah website, I always say, let's just double check and make sure that it's approved. Okay. Because there are a lot of over-the-counter options on their approval list. And the reason that there's an approval list is one, we don't want to be doing things with our dog unnecessarily that aren't going to be effective, right? Especially if we worked really hard (laughs) to the point of putting something in the mouth, we don't want to do anything that doesn't work. And more importantly, we don't want to use something that isn't safe. So the big thing we always worry about now is the inclusion of something called xylitol, Mm. which is a sugar substitute. And it's used in a lot of flavored stuff for humans, especially sugar-free foods and diabetic-friendly foods, but also in a lot of pastes and things like that, and also liquids. So some of the products out there may contain xylitol. And you definitely, just like you said, you want to look for enzymes on there. That's a good thing. 
you want to make sure xylitol is not in the ingredient list. And if it is, stay away from that because that can be a huge toxic exposure for dogs if they get into large amounts. Okay, great. That's a great tip for our community. So I think I want to just end our conversation on something that I think is almost like fear-free to the next level, which is this concept of cooperative care and applying it to our pets. Certainly in the case of where you really do have to help your dog maybe overcome some of their fears or discomfort with getting their mouth handled. So can you explain to our community kind of the Cliff Notes version of what is cooperative care and what that looks like for dental care? I know it's a much bigger topic than we can maybe address in a few minutes, but. Sure. Well, zoo veterinarians have been working in cooperative care for decades. And we just, for some reason, decided, wow, what they're doing is really great. I don't know why it took so long. Yeah. But essentially, if you think about it in a zoo, for a veterinarian to be able to look at an elephant's hoof or a hippo's mouth, they aren't on command usually going to be doing that. So cooperative care is essentially taking an animal's normal behaviors or movements So for a hippo, opening the mouth, when they come out of the water, it's quite typical for them to open the mouth. We're using what they would naturally do and rewarding the behavior into something where we as veterinarians or pet parents can use to help with therapy. So in this case, we're talking about using a dog's natural behavior to turn into something positive into a behavior that we want to happen. In this case, it would be something to help the mouth. Okay toothbrushing or chews or wiping or rinsing, whatever that might be. So again, in a zoo, when a hippo opens the mouth, that's a lot of times when they get a yummy treat, but that's also when the zoo veterinarians can get a glimpse of their dental health, make sure there's no masses, make sure they don't have you know lacerations, anything like that. It's the same way for dogs and also for any other small animal that we're working with at home. But for dogs, they do a lot of behaviors that we can used to help us with doing the best care for them at home. One of the easiest, and I I say that in quotes, because when you start something like this, it's never just easy on the first try, right? But one of the starting movements with cooperative care is getting dogs to lay their head. So if you're sitting down, probably seen this where they lay their head, rest it calmly on your knee. That is something that a lot of dogs will do just out of affection or when they're tired or they're coming to, you know, come on, dad, I need a walk or something like that. But that's a great starting point to get them to a place where for many pet parents, it's logistically very easy to lift up their lip. So sometimes that's a good starting point. They do that, they get rewarded with a treat right in front of their mouth. So they know the next time I sit there, I get something yummy. The next thing you might do is a lot of dogs can be trained to drop. And that drop is a training technique of course, for things that you don't necessarily want in there, but we can change that learned behavior. So if they know the concept of drop, we can get them to actually drop and take it to the next level of keeping their mouth open. Mm. Now that's not necessarily a place where we all of a sudden jut our hand in there, (laughs) but it's a good trick to get them to visually expose and display their mouth. Mm. So we can look for red gums. We can make sure the tongue looks good. We can get a good sniff to make sure there's no halitosis. Bad breath is the number one sign of dental disease, all of those things. So when you're working with your veterinarian, if you're having trouble with one of the steps of dental care, cooperative care is a wonderful option to talk about. And unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time today for me to get through all the steps and training through cooperative care and dental disease. 
but it's essentially allowing your dog to do their normal behaviors, their normal head movements, their normal snuggle time, a position that's comfortable for them. Maybe you have a senior dog that it doesn't feel good necessarily to sit. So allowing them to stand or allowing them to, again, rest their head on something, which for a lot of dogs with neck and back pain feels quite good. So encouraging these natural movements and changing the reward or changing what you're asking them to do within the confinements of what they feel comfortable with so that we can get a therapy or a visual or some type of medication. It's just not asking them to do something that they wouldn't naturally do. Okay. So it's a really cool newer field for small animals. Yeah. And again, but zoos have been doing this for years. very successfully for many, many decades. And I would say if you're wanting to read more about it in the veterinary space, Monique Fairchild. Oh, yeah. Is I love a her book. Fabulous resource. She's one of the leaders in cooperative veterinary care. And she's put some textbooks and some yep. really great reading. So shout out to her for all the great work she's doing in, with dogs in this. Yes, we are trying to get her to join us for the podcast. And for the community who's listening right now, if this idea of cooperative care is interesting to you, we definitely plan on bringing more information about it to you in the future. Can you tell us maybe what's the most interesting animal whose teeth you've examined? Oh, you mentioned hippos. And then I just thought like, (laughs) (laughs) well, I would say the most beautiful animal that I've ever had the pleasure of looking at teeth were snow leopards. I did a research project in veterinary school where we were doing endoscopy on snow leopards, looking to see if they get gastric ulcerations. So stomach ulcers like humans do, which they actually do. Wow. But looking at their teeth up close and personal, obviously under anesthesia, (laughs) (laughs) they're just unbelievably beautiful creatures. And so that was really a gift. That was a special time. That's great. Spending time at that zoo. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've given us so much amazing information today. I really appreciate you being here. We do like to end on kind of a fun question, which maybe you could tell us about your own dog and do you brush her teeth or his teeth? Yeah. So my dog currently is Samantha and she is an eight-year-old we'll just say Yorkie multi something mix. She's seven pounds wet, but runs our house. Of course. of course, she is phenomenal. She's a rescue from Chicago and actually a really quick story. My son was bit by a dog when he was two and was terrified to the point where he had psychosomatic stress. Oh. We would walk down the street and he would actually, he would urinate as a toddler. Oh, so out of fear, Samantha chose him about five years later when we were ready to adopt and he was more comfortable. We went in a room of foster moms and Samantha walked right into his lap. First dog he had touched in five years. He said, she's coming home. Oh, that's So she is our heart dog. What I do with her and just a tip for any parents out there that have young kids, teeth brushing is a stress for children too. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone's been there. So it's often fun to pair the activity. So to have the kids brush the teeth and brush the dog's teeth at the same time, because that's much more fun to do. That's great. And so as long as you have a dog that's been prepared to have their mouth touched, right? We don't want to say you're going to start toothbrushing 101 and you don't just shove a brush in the night you're going to brush with the kids, right? But if you've worked up to that training and you're ready to try with a finger brush or brush, I love to do it with kids because the kids find it much more fun to do. They are much more inclined and willing to do their own teeth at the same time. So as a working mom, it knocks two things out with one activity. 
And it's much more likely to stick because then the kids are like, oh, it's time for Samantha to get her teeth fresh too. That's a fantastic tip. So I like to pair it with something fun so that it becomes more of an experience, not a chore. Great. Well, thank you again for being here. We really appreciate it. Is there anywhere that people can look up what you're doing or reach out to you? Do you have a website? Yeah. So I'm here with all the other veterinarians that are involved in VetScoop. So we are a collaboration from all aspects of veterinary medicine, just as a real talk resource of good, accurate information that's easy to understand and easy to bring up to your veterinarian yourself about all things dog, cat, small animal, large animal, whatever you want to talk about. But most importantly, we really want to make sure that people understand that healthy pets visit vets. Even if you look at your dog and you see looks like nothing is wrong to you, the importance of that at least once a year annual exam is just so important to make sure that we have proactive care. And again, look in that mouth, especially for dental months. So you can find us at vetscoop.com and at the vetscoop on all our social handles, Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you again for being here. It was really great talking to you. Thanks. I was glad to be here. 